Amen. Thank you all very much. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to please open it to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to read verses 9 through 17, but I'm going to focus really on verses 9 and 10 this morning. These verses serve as the theme for the Lottie Moon Offering for International Missions. As the calendar has turned over into December, we now turn our focus toward not just Christmas and the celebration of our Lord's incarnation, but as Southern Baptists, we think about our responsibility to carry the gospel to the nations. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I know the Herod family, our cup was indeed overflowing. The Lord has blessed us with four incredible days with Emma. She has been more alert, more responsive, initiating some movement. It's just been a very blessed four days. And so we are very grateful. As I said, our cup overflows uh, with what God is doing in that regard. In your bulletin, you'll notice several inserts. Two I want to draw attention to right now. One is the guide for the week of prayer for international missions. As I said, as Southern Baptist missions is part of our heartbeat. The Southern Baptist Convention was formed for the purpose of sharing the gospel. So this is a guide for you to use this week. And I think it would be very appropriate to not just pray through this guide each day this week, but repeat each month, each day in December. Use this as a guide in praying for specific missionaries and their needs. You'll also notice an offering envelope. This is to use for giving toward the Lottie Moon offering for international missions. Now you don't have to use the envelope to give, but this is a way just to set it aside or designate that gift to go specifically toward missions. The president of the International Mission Board is Dr. Paul Chitwood. Now the International Mission Board is the arm of the Southern Baptist Convention that leads in commissioning missionaries, sending them out, and then helping to support them. They represent us. And I want to direct your attention to the screens to see a brief clip of Dr. Paul Chitwood as he is stepping into this role as the president of the International Mission Board and leading Southern Baptists in sharing the gospel. So if you'll please begin that clip now. Time with our missionaries, uh, not only this week, uh, but moving forward is going to be so important to me as I seek to lead the IMB. Um, time with our missionaries, uh, not time with our missionaries, uh, not time with our missionaries, uh, not only this week. It's okay, uh, but we will, we will forward. move. Oh, there we it's go, we're moving so forward. To me as I seek to lead the IMB. Because there's a lot of missionaries know that I don't know, that I can't know, I won't know, unless I have the opportunity to hear from them. Really the main uh, reason that I wanted to be here uh, was to encourage our missionaries, to let them know uh, that uh, I, I'm here to serve them, that that's the reason uh, I feel the Lord has placed me in this role, to uh, listen to them as they share the, the victories and the successes and their excitement about the work. Uh, but also to hear them as they talked about those struggles and challenges uh, and to hear their own testimonies. It's, it's not easy work out here, whether they're here for a year, uh, two years, or, or some of our personnel here have been here for 20 plus years. Just the way God is working uh, and to be able to see that here uh, firsthand uh, has been a tremendous encouragement to me. Michelle, that God 
Also, I had the privilege of bringing uh, some of my family members with me this week. Uh, my wife, one of our daughters, accompanied me, and, and that was uh, important as well. I want them to know what the Lord is doing around the world. I want them to know what we are a part of as a family. And they need to understand uh, the work because many of them are uh, our families serving together on the field and doing so uh, with uh, with a smile on their face, with a great commitment to representing the Lord Jesus well. It was also great to hear the testimonies of those they're working with. I uh, had the opportunity to, uh, to meet many people who have been won to the Lord by our missionaries and who are now being trained and equipped uh, to serve. God bless you, and we are happy to see you together in Christ Jesus. Some of the testimonies, particularly uh, from the refugee camps, uh, were heart-wrenching. Uh, to, to see children uh, living at an orphanage there. Our missionaries are ministering to them. But to know that many of those children made their way from war-torn lands, and some of them unaccompanied by adults, making their way across the border and now finding themselves in, in refugee camps with no one really for them until uh, they met believers in those camps and until uh, they met uh, our missionaries ministering in those camps. Uh, and now to see the hope that those children have uh, even uh, though they have suffered horrific hardships and even though they live in destitute poverty, they have found a capacity to forgive. They have found joy in their lives. There's a, there's a smile on their faces. There, there's happiness. We're seeing uh, people being reached. We're seeing uh, people being discipled. And we're seeing churches being planted. We're seeing darkness being pushed back, uh, lostness being overcome with the truth of the gospel. And so to be here with them, to travel the dusty roads and the city streets with them was a good chance for me to, to better understand how we can support them uh, and to know that they need a place to live and they need a truck to drive to do their work. And that's been provided through the generous giving of Southern Baptists. Uh, able to be reminded of how vital that support is to the work that's taking place all around the world. the chance to, uh, to walk alongside of them. Uh, it'll change, uh, I think, in a, in a very positive way how I approach this job. We may not be able to go, but we can pray we can give and we can be a part of the sending as I said missions is at the heartbeat of why the Southern Baptist Convention was founded in 1845 churches in the South gathered together for the purpose of working together cooperatively to spread the gospel around the world the premise was very simple we can do more together as churches than we can do individually it may be outside the, the power of Trinity to send and to sponsor one missionary totally, but by working with other churches, we have the ability to not only send missionaries, but to support them so their efforts can be upon sharing the gospel, equipping the church and among the people that they serve. In 1845, when the Southern Baptist Convention was formed, the Foreign Mission Board was also founded. Their motto at that time was this, one sacred effort for the propagation of the gospel. One effort to spread the gospel around the world. 
1925, the Southern Baptist churches began what was called the Million Dollar Campaign. It was their goal to raise $1 million for missions in 1925. And to that end, they began what we know today as the cooperative program. As a Southern Baptist church, a portion of the offerings we give go to support the cooperative program, which not only supports missionaries, it supports seminary education, missionaries here, missionaries uh, around the world. All of it for the sake of spreading the gospel. Now in 1955, just over 60 years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention through the International Mission Board sponsored 1,000 missionaries on the field. Upon the screen now, you're going to see statistics that are as recent as October 31st of this year. Right now there are 3,678 field personnel supported through the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist missionaries sent for the purpose of sharing the gospel. 847 people groups have been engaged by International Mission Board personnel. Now in terms of mission, we don't think in terms of geopolitical boundaries that separate countries. We think in terms of people group. A people group is a people that share a common language and a common culture. Because we came to the realization that within the boundaries of a nation, you may have several different languages, dialects, and cultures. So the focus is not just on saying, well, the gospel is being preached in this nation. But has the gospel been presented to each people group? And as you can see, 847 people groups have been engaged. There were 77,605 new believers overseas. 18,428 pastors trained overseas. 13,898 churches planted overseas. 52,586 baptisms took place already this year through the efforts of us giving. That's something worthy of praising God for. But we also have to recognize that the task is not done. If you'll look at the next slide that will approach, you'll see some statistics that we need to be aware of. Even with reaching over 800 people groups, there are 7,089 unreached people groups. Now, unreached means this. Unreached means a people, once again, sharing common language or dialect and culture, among whom Jesus is largely unknown. And the church among that people group is insufficient to help make him known without outside help. So in other words, unreached is pla would be places, people groups, where missionaries just have a toehold, just beginning the work. They're considered unreached because there's no indigenous church there. But the work's just now beginning. And so over 7,000 fall into that category. The next one should really cause us to take attention. 3,176 unengaged people groups. With the unengaged people group, there is no church helping and there is no gospel witness. That means over 3,176 people groups have never even heard the name Jesus. The task is far from done. The bottom line is this. There are billions who do not know the gospel. That have never heard it. Now we have been called very specifically by our Lord to make disciples of all nations. That's a mandate we can't ignore. 
It's there. It's clear. Make disciples of all ethnos, all nations, all people groups. We are tasked as the church with carrying out this mission of spreading the gospel, of preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, equipping believers. And there are challenges to this task. One challenge that's a perennial barrier that needs to be overcome, quite frankly, and to speak very candidly, is money. The missionaries on the field need resources to be able to do what they do. I believe it was three years ago for the first time in the southern history of the Southern Baptist. Missionary personnel had to be cut and pulled off the field because the money just was not there to support them. But I think the greatest problem is not just resources. It's what lies behind the lack of giving. It's an apathy. Quite frankly, we become very comfortable in our Christianity and don't feel a driving passion to share the gospel or to see that the gospel is shared all around the world. Usually the logic goes something like this. Why should we invest in spreading the gospel around the world when there are people here in the United States who don't know? Let's take care of here first, and then we'll think about worldwide. I want you to think, though, about where that type of thinking would lead. Because if you go down that road, it won't be long before you say this. Why should I care about the United States when there are people here in Tennessee who have not heard? So let's take care of Tennessee before we take care of the nation, before we take care of the world. But you know what? There are people here in, in Washington County. So let's take care of Washington County before we think about the state, before we think about the nation, before we think about the world. But wait a minute. There are people on my street that don't know Jesus. So before I can think about the county, before I can think about the state, before I can think about the nation or the world, I need to take care of my street. But wait a minute. There are people in my family that don't know Jesus. So before I can talk to the street, before I can talk to the county, before I can talk to the state, before I can talk to the nation, before I can go to the world, I've got to take care of my family. And goodness knows, I've got issues of my own. So I need to take care of myself before I deal with my family, before I deal with the county, before I go to the state, before I go to the nation, before I go to the world. And what happens then is, because we go to this narrow funneling of excuses, the gospel is never preached. Because we have adopted a self-centered approach to living rather than a Christ-centered approach that is gospel-driven. Church, we cannot turn inward. We cannot just think of right where we are. The mandate is for us to carry the gospel all around the world. And I think the best way to combat such thinking is to get a vision of what God intends for the church to be. Because out of who the church is, who we are, flows what we do. And that's why I want us to turn to Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 to get a vision. To see that the gospel is indeed a worldwide gift that has been given so that all around the world may know. And as a church, when we catch this vision, we will be driven to make it come to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Revelation is a book that was written, one, to encourage persecuted Christians. 
to encourage them to stay true. But it was also a book written to shake up Christians that had become comfortable and at ease. It's like there were two extremes when Revelation was written. One extreme were people, believers suffering, losing everything. And the other extreme were believers that were comfortable because there was no persecution in their area. And Revelation is written to shake up those who are comfortable. Now in chapter 7 we come to a vision that John has of heaven. Verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's been said in sports that before you maybe take a shot in basketball or swing a golf club, you need to visualize what the outcome will be. Getting that vision in mind will then help you to follow through in that task, whether it be shooting or hitting the golf ball. This is the vision we need to get in our mind of what God intends, what the outcome will be. Because this vision then, I believe, will drive us to be a part of seeing it come to its fruition. It's been said this passage refers to the church triumphant. Today we recognize that the church and the majority of the world is persecuted and oppressed. The church today in many parts of the world is suffering and struggling. But that is not the end of the book. Where we are now as a church is not the conclusion. What we see here is the outcome of God's work within His church. Now what happens to John here follows a familiar pattern in Revelation. A familiar practice, a familiar tool of apocalyptic language is this. The narrator, who in this case is John, will hear something. And then he will turn to see what he has heard. And what he hears is something that is shocking because it's totally unexpected. An example is in Revelation 5. John hears the elders say to him, Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. Then John turns around to see the line and what does he see? A lamb. What he sees is totally unexpected from what he has heard. Now, when we begin this chapter in verse 6, we are told this. He says, I'm sorry, not in verse 6. He, um, in verse 4, he says, I heard the number of the sealed. Now that's a reference to the believers, to the church. 
I hear the number of those who have been signed, sealed, and delivered by Jesus. So now in verse 9, he looks and what does he see? He sees the completion of salvation. He sees the people of God. He sees the culmination of what Jesus is doing among his people. And he uses language that harkens back to Abraham. Because look what he says, I behold a great multitude that no one could number. That language is drawn from Genesis. From a promise that God made to Abraham. When he said to Abraham, look up at the stars in the night. And I'm going to make your descendants as, descendants as numerous as those stars. Now understand, when God made that promise to Abraham, he was not just talking about physical, biological descendants. He was talking about those who had followed the example of Abraham in believing unto righteousness. That's what it says in the book of Romans. That Abraham believed and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness. So in that sense, you and I, as those who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, we are heirs of the promise of Abraham. We trace our faith back to Abraham because just as he was counted righteous before God through faith, you and I are counted righteous before God through faith. And so now he is saying that what Abraham saw and expected on that day when God made the promise is fulfilled here in Revelation when John sees this great multitude gathered around the cross. And notice the description of this. They are from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages. Now one thing we have to recognize is how could John see that by just looking? How could he know they're from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people by just looking at them unless even in our resurrected bodies we will bear the marks of our ethnicity? As the song's children's song says, God loves the little children, red, yellow, brown, black, and white. They're all precious in His sight. And I think that part of the beauty and the glory of God in heaven will be the kaleidoscope of His people gathering together. Bearing His image fully without the taint of sin. Giving praise and glory and honor to Him. And the church is to be a sampler platter of what that day will be. The people of God not limited by borders. Not limited by language. Not limited by color. But one people of God Brought together by the blood of Jesus Christ. The beautiful thing is, you can see throughout history and even today where God is bringing this to fruition. You read of what God is doing around the world, it's amazing. In his book, Witness Essentials, Daniel Myers points these things out. In the year 1900, there were no Protestant churches in Korea. None. Today in the city of Seoul, Korea, a city of over 10 million people, there are 7,000 Protestant churches in that city alone. Just over 100 years. In India, there are 140 million people considered part of the untouchable case, caste system. Untouchable. I mean, you're not supposed to have any contact with them at all. 140 million people have deemed, been deemed lower than the low. But out of that 140 million, it's estimated that 14 million have become Christians. The untouchables touched by the love of Jesus to know that they are loved and beautiful and that they are valuable because they are made in the image of God. In Islamic Indonesia, the percentage of Christians is estimated to be at 15%, a number so high that the Muslim government 
represses those statistics. We must recognize that God is at work in ways and in places that would stretch our imagination. And church, we are to be involved in that because we want to be a part of what God is doing if this is our vision of what the kingdom is like. That is the result of the gospel. The gospel drives us to go and to share the good news. It's been said that the gospel evangelizing, witnessing, is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's why we share the gospel is to be proclaimed. Notice, notice the position of these people. Verse 9. They're standing. It's interesting that attention is drawn to that. They are standing around the throne praising God. This is an answer to what the question. It's not really. Well, it is a question in verse 17 of chapter 6. As chapter 6 describes the wrath of God being poured out upon the world, this question is asked. The great day of the wrath has come. And who can stand? When God's judgment comes. Who would be able to stand up and say, I'm exempt? When God judges sinners. Who of us would have the audacity to say, Lord, you can skip by me. I'm good. The answer expected at the end of verse 17 is no one can. But then we find here in chapter 7, verse 9, this group standing. And the image is, they're not just standing to be recognized. They're standing victoriously because notice, one, they're wearing white robes. White was the symbol of victory. When a conquering army would come into the city that it had just defeated, the general would wear a white robe symbolizing victory. And now all of these people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation are dressed in white. And they're waving palm branches. Palm branches ought to trigger a memory for us. It ought to take us to the week before Easter. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the people grab palm branches and they begin waving them in front of Him saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the only other place in the Scripture where palm branches are mentioned and it's the context of worship. This is the church triumphant, worshiping Jesus because we know the only way we can stand, the only way we can stand is because of what Jesus has done. It is only because of Jesus you and I have any hope of standing in the presence of God on judgment day. The ultimate testimony of every believer will be this. We're here because of Jesus. We're here because we're with Him. Not because of our works, not our merit, nothing else other than that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and He rose from the dead that we might be justified so that all who would believe in Him can be forgiven, saved from the wrath of God on that day so that we will be a part of that number. That is why, notice the songs that are sung here. Verse 10 This gathered group victoriously, what do they begin singing? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now there's another group in heaven also. Verse 11 speaks of them. The angels. They're standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. These angels fall on their faces before the throne of God and they say, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So you have two groups singing praise to God. But they're singing very different songs. 
Our song is that of salvation. We sing praise to God for the Lamb because He has saved us. The song the angels sing is focused on the character of God. Be glory, wisdom, blessing, thanksgiving, honor, power, might. While the angels know the holiness of God, they've never experienced the grace of God. While the angels know that God is sovereign, They've never experienced the salvation of God. It is only the church that can sing of God's great salvation. To say that salvation belongs to God. Church, that should drive our worship. That when we gather together, you and I sing of salvation. A song that the angels do not know and cannot sing. We alone have experienced redemption. We alone know what it is to be adopted into the family of Christ. So while we will glorify God for His character, we alone will glorify God. God for his salvation and that is joy you see there is a sense of duty in which we must be sure the gospel is spread but that duty is undergirded with joy joy to the world the Lord has come there is a joy and a celebration here that should drive us you see there's something about joy that is contagious people like to be around joyful people have you ever noticed that how many of you think, boy, I'm going to find the grumpiest person I can find and sit next to them in the waiting room? find myself whenever I've been at a restaurant and say there's a, a large family gathering at a different table and some poor soul at that table is having a birthday. And his family, out of all the love they can muster, has secretly told the server that it's Papa's birthday. And then all of a sudden what happens? The kitchen door opens and all the servers come out carrying a large sombrero and a bib or a cake or something. And then they place it on the birthday person's head and then they start singing. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I've been at a restaurant where that happens, I find myself doing two things. Smiling and singing happy birthday to them too. Isn't that the nature of celebration? It wants to be shared. That's what drives this. It's joy at what God has done. And that's what should drive our efforts at, at evangelism. To share the joy. To say we know God and we have been saved. We've been redeemed. And we want you to experience that also. Because the world around us does not know. The world around us is still, for many of them, if they believe in heaven are still operating on the premise that I'll be good enough. Several years ago, I read an interview with Michael Bloomberg when he had just stepped down as being mayor of New York. The author of the interview said that if Bloomberg senses that he has much time left, because Bloomberg was talking about his own mortality here, the author says, Blumberg has little doubt about what awaits him at Judgment Day. Pointing to his work on gun safety, obesity, smoking, cessation, Blumberg said with a grin, and I quote, I'm telling you, if there is a God when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. something shocking to hear it put that starkly 
But that's the thought of many in the world. I just wish somebody would explain to me the math behind it, the equation. How many good things do you do to make up for a bad thing? How many good things wipe out one life? The point is, we don't know. The point is, our very best efforts fall short. That's why the song of salvation is one of praise to Jesus because he lived a perfectly righteous life, died in our place bearing the wrath of God, that you and I can be made righteous by faith in him. If you're relying on your good works for salvation, you will not be saved. The only way of salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. That is the message we need to hear and believe. That is the message every person in the world needs to hear and believe. So church, will we gather in? Will we gather in and be a part of God's work in this world? We're called to. And I believe with all my heart, when we get involved, our joy, our joy will grow exponentially. The glory of God will grow exponentially as we experience it and share it. So I ask you, what's God calling you to do? Is it to utilize the offering this year to give sacrificially, to give a bit more? Our church goal is $20,000. That's a big goal. And at Christmas time, there are many that would say $20,000. That's crazy. People have gifts to buy, all sorts of things going on. I believe we'll exceed it. What else is God calling you to do besides just give? We pray daily. You've got a prayer guide. Go to the imb.org. You'll find no shortage of missionary prayer needs to pray for. In fact, they will even send you one daily to pray for. A specific request from a missionary on that day that needs to be prayed for. I believe there may be someone here that God is stirring your heart to go on the mission field. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm too young. Did you know through the International Mission Board there are journeyman programs where you can serve a summer or even a year as a commitment? Some of you are thinking, I'm too old. No, you're not. About 10 years ago, I met a couple at a conference who had just retired. And in their retirement, they were getting ready to move to Kenya to oversee a missionary house. They were in their early 70s. You're not too old. And you're not too young. To me, the real question is, are you willing to be obedient? I want to ask you to bow your head with me right now. In just a moment, we're going to sing. It will be an invitation song where you can respond physically to what God might be laying on your heart. Nathan and I both will be up here to pray with you if you would like someone to come alongside you. But even before we sing and even before I pray, I want us to take just a moment in silence to hear the voice of the Spirit. What's He calling you to do? Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this glimpse of glory that you have given us of the, the culmination of our salvation. Lord, I pray that that joy would take root in our hearts and overcome all the false joys of this world. Father, there are billions that do not know their need for a Savior, that are not aware of Jesus. Father, I confess that I've not been as passionate as I should be, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray that as a church, you would move us not just to see missions as a one-month-a-year focus, but, Lord, to recognize this is, this is who you've called us to be and what you are calling us to do, to share the gospel. So, Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to see your beauty and to share that with the world. In Jesus' name.